Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, only you can steal. My soul is this morning. Lord, I'm delighted this morning to be in your presence once again. Thank you for the breaking of another day. Thank you, Lord, for the rising of the sun this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for the breath in my nostrils. Thank you for the gift of life. Yes, Lord, as we see the sun rise again this morning, Lord, it is proof that you are faithful. Thank you, Lord, because you are the one who is almighty. You are all-powerful. Times and seasons, scripture says, are in your hands. You are Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. You are before Alpha. You are after Omega. We worship your name this morning, O God. Be magnified forevermore in the name of Jesus. You are who you are, O God. You are the same yesterday, today, and from forevermore, from everlasting to everlasting. You remain God, and so we can magnify you this morning with content in our hearts. Father, be glorified. Father, be glorified. Lord, as we spend this time in your presence, reading the word again this morning, we ask, Lord, grant us wisdom and understanding. Help us to learn in your presence and cause your name to be glorified in our lives again. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, let me say a big welcome to everyone joining in to devotion this morning. I am Murphy Ayenike. So we continue reading the book of Romans. Yesterday we stopped on chapter 6. Roman has, the book of Romans has 16 chapters. So I'm going to set us a challenge to read you know, in the next three days uh, to read 10 chapters. That would be nice, right? Okay. So a big thank you to everyone joining in this morning. Whatever, uh, wherever you're, get, you're getting this from, whatever country, continent you have, Thank you very much. Whatever platform you are getting this from, on Anchor, on Spotify, Facebook, maybe WhatsApp, on Twitter, or you just follow me on my social media handle, Murphy Ayeniki, on Instagram. Thank you. God bless you. I pray that as we all continue to pay attention to the word, we will not only continue to grow, but our lives will be better for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. So let's read this morning. Romans chapter 7 is titled, No Longer Bound to the Law. No Longer Bound to the Law. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. Okay? So if it is true that we are dead, okay? Believers are born again, we are dead. 
the law should not apply to us, okay? Because whatever joined us to the law died when we became born again. That's essentially what Paul is saying. He says, but if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. Verse 3, so while her husband is alive, she will be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. Every believer is dead already. Okay? We died to the law. We died to the power of sin. And that's why they have no control over us anymore. I read it again, verse 4. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. You are reunited with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Why? Because we are now joined to Christ. Okay? In a sense, we are now married to someone else. We have now become slaves of righteousness or slaves of God. We are no longer slaves of sin, slaves of the devil anymore. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Verse 5, when we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused these evil desires that produce a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Hmm? When the law says, thou shalt not kill, that's when it becomes a struggle to try and keep the law. When, if that law really wasn't there, you would probably not have even thought about it. Okay? So, these evil desires that produce a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captives to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. The new way of living in the Spirit. Next, we read about God's law reveals our sins, and that's just the purpose of the law. The entire purpose of the law is to show us that we are sinners. Seven, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. Hmm? But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would have would not have that power. Did you see? Did you get that? Ah, I wish some believers will will understand this verse eight. If there were no law, eh, sin would not have that power. That power of enticing me. For me to be struggling, you know, to, to you know, covetous desires within me that are not aroused, struggling not to commit sin. It is because the law is present in the first place. That's why that is there, which is not bad, right? However, 
my human nature does not have the capacity to be able to say no to sin. Okay? So what am I supposed to do? Turn to God. Yes. At one time, verse 9, I lived without understanding the law. <laughs> Paul said, I lived without understanding the, the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the laws, the laws commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of these commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. Uh, but still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. Okay? The law and its commands are holy, they are right, they are good. However, sin, the sinful nature, takes advantage of us and deceives us. Okay? And that's why you see this struggle. You are not a sinner eh? because you, you did one thing wrong or you broke the law. No. The sinful nature is inside each one of us. We, got, we learned that when we were reading about Adam, what Adam transferred to us and what we now have presently in Christ Jesus. 13. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. It was sin who did it. It wasn't the law. So we can see how terrible sin really is. If you spend time meditating on the book of Romans, eh, you will stop struggling. Eh? You will stop struggling to keep the law. Because you will never be able to. Sin will always take advantage. It's not because um, you do not desire it. However, you have no willpower to be able to struggle against sin. He says, of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin, sin really is. It uses God's, God's good, good commands for its own evil purpose. For its own evil purposes. Next, we read about struggling with sin. Verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law. The trouble has never been has never been with the law. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. This applies to every human being. They might pretend to, to be righteous. They might even look pious. But the sinful nature is the trouble. Eh? The trouble is with me, the sinful nature that is inside every human being. It says, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. So when you give your life to Christ, the nature of God comes alive in you. So you read this and compare this later now with, the, with what Paul was writing to the Galatian church about the struggle that exists between the flesh and the spirit. That struggle of control who will stay in charge of me. And I'm telling you, that struggle will continue until we meet, we meet, we meet Jesus. Okay? 
your trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. I know my conscience tells me that this is not right, right? (laughs) But I still do it. That's the sinful nature. 17. So I am not the one doing it. It is sin in me that does it. Yes, sin in every human being that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Ah! You see, you see the trouble that Adam put all of us? <laughs> 21. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. Verse 22. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Thank God that people answered the question. (laughs) Thank God. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by death, by sin and death? He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Hey, this is what Christianity is about. Okay. That's all. From beginning to the end, that is what Christianity is about. It has nothing with this pious countenance, carrying yourself like you are the only one, holier than thou. It has nothing to do with all of that. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I love the book of Romans. I can read it again and again and again and again. It's, 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 it's delicious. All right, let's move to our next chapter, Romans chapter 8, life, life in the Spirit. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So you see why? We can't be condemned now, right? (laughs) There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do, He sent his own son in a body like the bodies of we sin, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end. That is what Jesus came to do. Declare an end to sin's control over us by giving his son a sacrifice for our sins. 
for it did this so that the just requirements of the law will be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit the just requirement of the law says the soul that sins shall die <laughs> so the only way to escape the the sinful nature is to die eh? you see why other every other religion is a waste of time okay it's not really whether my religion is better than yours it has nothing to do with that there is only one way to escape the sin nature to die as long as you are still alive ah ah i i don't care how how uh, what level you have transcended to and the many hours you spend in you know, meditating and reciting incantations and praying your prayer beads you know because you are committed you really want to do what is right that's fine i promise you you will commit sin why because it is in our nature <laughs> oh it says we no longer follow our sinful nature but instead he says he did this let's read for again he did this so that the just requirement of the law will be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow follow the spirit those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things but those who are controlled by the holy spirit think about things that please the spirit so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So that is what is going to be happening. The spirit will dominate, will want to dominate your mind. The sinful nature, and that's where the control. So that's why some people spend a lot of time meditating and all of that. Because they know that yes, it originates from the mind. Yes, it will originate all from there, from the sinful nature to the mind. So they think that if they spend a lot of time mastering the place of meditation, okay, they will not sin. <laughs> not one human being eh, since Adam has ever been able to fulfill, to fulfill that, um, be able to do that. Since but letting the spirit controls your mind leads to life and peace. Seven, for the sinful nature is always hostile, hostile to God. It never did obey God's law. And it never will. The sinful nature. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. They can never. Eh? I don't care how good they claim they are. They can never please God. Nine. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of God living in them do not belong to him at all. 10. And Christ lives within you. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Why? Because you are now a slave to righteousness. You are now a slave to God. That is the one, the spirit, that is the one you should obey. 
13. For if you live by its details, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Hallelujah. 16. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Hallelujah. Alright, let's go on. We read the future glory, the glory that is to come. 18. Yet what yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's cause, but with eager hope that the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. 22. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We are too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Hallelujah. 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Hallelujah. Next, we read, we read about nothing can separate us from God's love. 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? The answer is no, nobody. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Obviously, the answer is yes, he will give us everything else. 
33 who dares who dares accuse us whom god has chosen for his own no one for god himself has given us right standing with himself 34 who then will condemn us no one for christ jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at god's right hand pleading for us 35 can anything ever separate us from christ's love does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with life with death as the scripture says for your sake we are killed every day we are being slaughtered like sheep like 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 sheep some some 44 verse verse 22 no despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through christ who loved us 38 and i am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from god's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow do you see that your fears cannot separate you from the love of god your worries for tomorrow cannot separate you from the love of the love of god in christ jesus it says not even the powers of hell can separate us from god's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of god that is revealed in christ jesus our lord hallelujah romans chapter 8 it's splendid in fact one time i could actually quote this romans chapter 8 from beginning to the end without without looking at anything it was amazing i'm telling you it was a blessing all right let's go to romans chapter 9 god's selection of israel and paul begins to explain how this thing moves from israel and then to the gentile believers today and what is the place of israel eventually romans chapter 9 god's selection of israel with christ as my witness i speak with utter truthfulness my conscience and the holy spirit confirms it my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people my jewish brothers and sisters i would be willing to be forever cursed cut off from christ if that would save them they are the people of israel chosen to be god's adopted children god revealed his glory to them he made covenants with them and gave them his laws he gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises he made covenants with them the abrahamic covenant and then the covenants with moses are both typically referring to the nation of israel okay so yes it says he gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises verse 5 abraham isaac and jacob are their ancestors and christ himself was an israelite as far as his human nature is concerned and he is god the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise amen okay so there are those who say ah, but paul never say jesus was god okay but you read verse 5 again abraham isaac and jacob are their ancestors and christ himself was an israelite as far as his is human nature is concerned he's talking about christ and he says and he is god 
the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. 6. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. 9. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Genesis chapter 18, 18 verse 10. Ah, you remember that encounter with the angels, right? He said, and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, he gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purpose. But, however, don't mistake you. If God chooses people according to his own purpose, but when we fulfill the purpose of God, I promise you, you will bring your life will be glorious. Okay? So don't say God chose some people to be evil. So why is God now blaming them that they are evil? No. God chooses all of us to reflect his glory. And if God truly chose you to be evil, okay, wait until that day when you stand before him. And if that was what God chose you to be, uh, there will be no condemnation for you. I'm telling you. He says, um, this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purpose. 12. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger your younger son. Talking about Rebecca, Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. In the words of the scripture, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Okay, still giving us an example of God choosing did not mean that Esau did not have a glorious destiny. Malachi chapter 1 verse 2 and 3. I love Jacob but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. The book of Exodus. So the question is, is God still showing me mercy today. Maybe it's not God's intention that I should be born again today. Big lie. Uh-huh. In the Old Testament, okay, as the covenant is being revealed, God told, told Moses, I will show mercy to everyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I, I choose. However, John chapter 3 verse 16 tells us that God has now shown mercy to the old world. Uh-huh. So there's no uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is God's mercy. Hallelujah. I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scripture says that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy uh, to some and he chooses to harden the heart of others so they refuse they refuse to listen to him he hardened their heart does not mean they do not have a purpose to fulfill they refuse to listen 
19, well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No. You, obviously, you cannot argue with God. Like I said, if that is really what God created you for, fine. 20, no, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jar out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration another, and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. 23. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both for the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophet, in the prophet's prophecy of Uzziah, those who were not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. Uzziah chapter 2 verse 23. And then at the place where they were told they are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Uzziah chapter 1 verse 10. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 22 to 23. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9. Alright, let's stop here today. I don't know about you, but I'm beginning to understand this message of grace better. It is only in Christ Jesus that you can be declared righteous. So this morning, declare with me, I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. Father, we say thank you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. Enjoy your day.